Let's pray, and we'll get into uh, John chapter 19 today. <clears throat> Father, as we uh, just come in and open your word, Lord, we realize that there is no lack of information in our culture, no lack of um, opportunity to hear and to learn and to, to know your word. But Father, we know this morning, because your word tells us, that the blessing is not in just being a hearer of your word, but a doer. So Father, as we talk about the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus Christ, and we're ri- reminded about even uh, taking up our cross, I pray, Lord, that, that uh, you would help us to examine our lives, to think more deeply about things than we tend to on a daily basis, to consider uh, the way we act and behave in light of the cross. And Father, transform us. We want to be your followers. We're here to say that. We do want to follow you. But Lord, you need to give us the power to do it. We, we have the desire, the, the, the spirit is willing, Lord, but the flesh, it, we confess, is weak. So Father, fill us today as the preaching is happening, as the communion happens uh, during the fellowship time, fill us with your spirit. Without that filling, without you dwelling on us, Lord, we are hopeless and helpless to accomplish anything. But Father, with you, all things are possible. Bless our time, open our ears, and open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word. It's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Those of you that that know me know that I have a particular love and enjoyment for words. I, I don't know. I just th- find words fascinating. And what I find fascinating about words, like one of my favorite words is the word syzygy. Anybody ever heard that word? I, I love it because the way it's spelled, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And it's a, it's a term that has to do with when all the planets are all lined up in a row. I learned that word in like high school and never forgot it. It's just I learned a word in organic chemistry. You ready for this? Now, this is the way my mind works. I learned it in organic chemistry in college, and that was just a few years ago. Perhydrocyclopentanophenanthrene. There's a word for you. I just love words, and I love word origins especially because seeing where words have come from, to me, just fascinates me. So how many of you have ever used the word jumbo? Yeah, we, we buy the jumbo roll of paper towels. or Well, the word jumbo means very large or unusually large for its type. And it came from uh, ni- or 1880, P.T. Barnum bought an elephant named Jumbo from the Royal Zoological Society in London. By age seven, this pachyderm consum- consumed 200 pounds of hay, one barrel of potatoes, two bushels of oats, 15 loaves of bread, a slew of onions, and several pails of water Every day. Sounds like our agape meal Wednesday nights. His caretaker at the zoo also gave him a gallon or two of whiskey every now and then. I'm not commenting on that. At full size, Jumbo stood at 11 and a half feet tall and weighed six and a half tons. And his name stems from two words, uh, Swahili words, Jambo meaning hello and Jumbe. Or, or the word that means chief. So that's where the word jumbo comes from. Next time you use jumbo paper towels, you think of the giant elephant that P.T. Barnum discovered. How about the word clue? 
If you like mysteries, like to solve things, you might like to get a clue or to have a clue or somebody needs a clue sometimes. Uh, A fact or idea that serves as a guide or aid in a task or problem. According to Greek mythology, when Theseus entered the labyrinth to kill the minotaur, half man, half bull, he unraveled a clue, C-L-E-W, which meant a ball of string. He unraveled it behind him so he could find his way back out of the, the labyrinth. The word clue didn't even exist until the mid-1500s when people started the, to vary the spelling of the word clue, C-L-E-W, to C-L-U-E. Uh, one more, actually two more, the word robot is a machine capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically, especially one programmable by a computer. The word robot comes from the Czech word robota, meaning forced labor. I thought that was interesting. And finally, the word assassin is a person who murders an important person for political or religious reasons. And it comes from members of a fanatical Muslim sect during the Crusades that used to smoke hashish and then murder leaders on the opposing side. They started going by the name hashishian, meaning hashish users in Arabic. Through centuries of mispronunciation, the English arrived at assassin. So what does all of the sermon today have to do with word origins? How many of you have ever experienced a pain that you would call excruciating? All the women are raising their hands. Women with kids are all raising their hands right now. Uh, Excruciating pain. Guys who have hit their thumbs with a hammer. We know that feeling of excruciating pain. Well, where does the word excruciating come from? The, the center of that word, the root of that word excruciating is the word cruce, which means cross. And ex or ek is out of. So if you've ever experienced an excruciating pain, the word comes from meaning out of the cross. Out of the cross. And so we use the word cruce in a lot of, it's a crucial decision. There's a crossroads in your life and you have to make a crucial decision. So we see the word, the, the Latin for cross show up in a lot of places, but none so familiar, I think, as the word excruciating and none so pertinent to, uh, to today's sermon as we see here in, in John chapter 19. So if you're there, uh, open with me to verse 17. That's where we left off last week because... And why do I make that point about excruciating and about the, the name, uh, the word? Because in our generation, in our day, the cross has all but lost its meaning. And we see uh, celebrities adorned with crosses. Matter of fact, when we were in Spain this summer, we, um, were, we were staying in a place where there were a lot of bars nearby, uh, near, the, near the Bible college where we were. And uh, so we would just take walks at night and try to do a little witnessing. And we met a girl. There were uh, guys and ladies trying to entice people into the bars with specials and whatnot. And so I noticed she had cross earrings on. And I said, ooh, there's an opportunity, opportunity for evangelism. So I just asked her, do you know? Well, I think I asked her about, you know, are your, are your earrings significant? She said, no, no, it's just jewelry. And that's what the cross has become for so many, hasn't it? It's become just jewelry. And we're so distanced from the meaning of the cross. And so distanced from, we're not familiar with because uh, um, Emperor Constantine is the one that put an end to death by crucifixion. And crucifixion is the most horrendous, slow and painful death of execution that anybody could ever 
face now or then in, in history of the world. It is, is, is meant to be that way. And we'll talk about that as we uh, get closer to it. Uh, so as we talk about the cross and as we talk about Jesus' crucifixion, I think it does us well to remember just what we're talking about. Because again, the meaning of it has been lost and it's been um, uh, stripped of, of so much of its power and its um, grotesqueness, I guess you could say. So Jesus has been uh, tried and been found innocent, scourged. Uh, we talked about that last week in an attempt to uh, make a plea bargain with the Jewish men that were turning him over to be crucified. They wanted him crucified. Pontius Pilate attempts to wash his hands of the whole matter, thinks maybe scourging will uh, be enough to satisfy their desire to see this man killed, and it was not. They screamed all the more, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate again tries to wash his hands of it, and ultimately uh, they... They squeeze Pontius Pilate politically and they force his hand. He makes the decision to uh, crucify an innocent man. And we see uh, Jesus Christ in verse 17 having been turned over uh, to the Romans for crucifixion. Verse, one, or verse 17 says, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which in, is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. So uh, if you will allow me to elaborate a little bit, uh, it's easy to just read that over uh, and not understand that when the judgment of crucifixion is placed, I mean, I can only imagine in the heart of a criminal, crucifixion was only for the the, the uh, most awful criminals. If you were a Roman citizen, they would not crucify you. It was that bad. Slaves, especially um, uh, people that had uh, offenses against the government. If maybe you know the story of Spartacus, who led the slave revolt, and 6,000 revolting slaves were crucified along the Appian Way on the way to Rome. So crucifixion is not unique to Jesus. It's been done throughout history. The Romans perfected it, and it was meant to cause it meant to be a deterrent, and it was meant to cause horror and, and pain, a prolonged pain. So the first thing that would happen is once that the, the criminal was condemned to this sort of death, then, and in Jesus' case, they took him back into the praetorium, back into the judgment hall, and they continued to mock him. They continued to tease uh, him and, and hit him with, um, with a reed that was a mock staff and, and poke fun at him. Um, and then they, they took the clothes off of him that he had a purple uh, robe on and the crown of thorns. They put his regular clothes back on him and they would have fixed the cross piece. You know, we picture the whole cross on his back. The whole cross would have been more than anybody, any human could have carried. What they would do is the uprights would be in place at the place of the skull, which by the way, Calvary is the Latin version of the same word. And so this is really welcome to skull chapel. Uh, that's what Calvary means. It means the skull. And, and the reason, well, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to the skull in a minute. So they would, the upright was there in place. And then they would, the, the criminal would carry the cross beam called the patibulum, probably about 70 or 80 pounds on their back with arms outstretched, probably having the hands tied. Now remember, 
uh, by this time, the, the criminal's already been scourged. They're, they're beaten within an inch of their life. They're, they're, the the uh, skin, flesh on the back, uh, organs are exposed. The flesh has been ribboned by the flagellum. Tearing. So it's very painful. Already lots of blood loss, already dehydration, already uh, the heart is racing, the heart is working. Uh, there's all these medical things that are happening. And now the criminal is marched through the streets, the longest path they can take. Uh, one reason that is done is they, put, they, they carry with the criminal the charges. And we'll see that Jesus' charges are that he, said he, that he was the king of the Jews. Um, and they would carry that through the streets. And if someone found, uh, someone would come forward that would tell of their innocence, then they would stop the procession right there and the trial would be retried. So it was an opportunity for witnesses to come forward on behalf of the one that was being uh, crucified. And the Romans had a very, you know, uh, torturous way of doing this. So you would be carrying, you're already barely able to walk, and you're carrying the, uh, the patibulum, 70, 80 pounds, hands tied to it, and the Romans would trip you as you walked. And you would fall, and the, the crossbeam would come smashing down on you. And so this is the point at which Simon the Cyrene is enlisted to, to uh, come to Jesus' aid to carry, uh, at least for some distance, the cross on the way to the place of the skull. Now, if you go, and, and we've been there as we go to our Israel trips, we go to a place called Gordon's Calvary, which is uh, modern scholarship seems to indicate is the much more likely place than the Church of the Holy Sepulcher for the actual uh, place that the crucifixion and the burial uh, of Jesus took place. And do we have a picture of that, Phil or Vince? Is there a picture uh, the reason it's called the place of the skull, there's a lot of speculation as to why um, the place that where crucifixion took place was the place of the skull. But likely it's, it's the look of the, uh, the, the, the cliff wall actually had a, the appearance of two eyes and then lower down you would see a mouth. And so that's kind of what the place of the skull uh, looks like. So it appeared as a skull. And that's where they would perform the crucifixions. And uh, so they would take the the person out there to that place. And it was not three, you know, we have this picture of on a, you know, this old rugged cross on a hill far away and there's this grassy pasture and these three crosses. That's not how it was. Jesus would have been only about four feet off the ground. And people would have been, it was at, at, a, at a thoroughfare of, of business where people would be coming and going and traveling. And so many, many people come by uh, and, and were able to mock and jest and poke fun and tease. Uh, they were very. It was a very public thing. It's a very public thing. And so the, they would get the person out there to be crucified. They would place the crossbeam up on top of the upright piece. Uh, hands, you know, starting with the, the hands. The hands would be nailed. Uh, a lot of debate again about how this was done. Likely, if all the weight was carried on a nail, just put through the hand in the palm. Uh, likely that, that would, the weight of the person hanging would rip through there. So they probably either tied the hands and nailed them there. Another option is archaeological evidence shows that it's quite possible that at least in some cases the hands were behind the cross and the nails put in from the back forward and then bent over. Um, yeah. And, but likely there's a spot right in your wrist where there's a hole where veins and, and uh, nerves pass through. And that is likely where the Romans would put the, uh, the nail for the hands. And so when the nail would be nailed in, there would be searing pain. Uh, the hand would be, um, nerve, nerve innervation would be cut off. And the hands would, would claw up uh, 
the fingers clawing down because the nerves would not work anymore. And so tremendously painful. Um, so hanging by the hands, uh, the feet, the ankles, not one over the other like you see the pictures, likely on the sides of the, of the upright with the nails going through the heel bone itself. And they had to be very precise in their placement of those uh, so that they didn't miss the, the proper place. And so the, the real trouble with crucifixion is you likely would asphyxiate over the course of two, three days. You would not be able to breathe. To take a breath on the cross, not only you would be hanging by your, your nail hands, you would have to pull up on your hands and push up. Your knees would be partially bent. So if you've ever done like wall sits or some exercise that involves leg presses, or you know how fast your leg muscles can, can wear out. So the, the criminal being crucified would have to push himself up with his feet you know, against the nails that were driven into the cross and drive up just to get a breath. And then the weight of the body would slump back down. And, and it was never possible to fully inflate the lungs. And so you're always feeling the shortness of breath. And, and not only that, your back, which has already been scourged, is scraping up and down on the wooden cross until you just finally couldn't breathe anymore. And you died there, and, and they would leave your body there to be uh, dismantled by the local birds of prey. And it was meant to be dishonorable, shameful, horrendous, horrific, um, and deterring. And again, I don't tell you that just to gross you out, or, or, but just to know, because we take sin so casually, as if, well... You know, I know God will forgive me. And that's true. But we forget the cost of that forgiveness. And so I think when you appreciate just what someone has gone, what I want you to do is to value your salvation. To value the righteousness you've been given. That it didn't come, it was a free gift to you. But it cost Jesus everything. And, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul comes to Corinth, he's coming to a divided church, a church that can't get along, a church where there's a lot of problems, a lot of disagreements, and a lack of love. There was a lot of self-centeredness. There was a lot of uh, putting one person, putting themselves above another, thinking themselves to be better than another. And when he comes to them, he says, look, I, am, I don't want to preach with, with wonderful oration. I don't, I'm not going to be concerned with using you know, flowery, sermonizing. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The answer to every issue you face. He said, I knew nothing else among you except this one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And of course, the resurrection is the validation of everything that Jesus said. And everything that He did is all validated by the resurrection. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Next week, actually. I, I came, not, not, nothing, I'm not going to preach anything, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Steve, you don't know how my boss treats me. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. But, but how can I forgive someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness? As Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. But... There, there must be more that I have to do for my salvation. I, salvation can't be so easy. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
But what about our marriage? I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. What about my kids? What about serving? What about, didn't Jesus say, if any man wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me? And it's that daily, if, if, you, if you, you can write that word daily. That, that's a hard word, isn't it? Because, man, we see people deny themselves and give up their lives in, in different circumstances, in, in uh, unique circumstances. You know, uh, 9-11 happens. 9-11, the, the anniversary is coming up soon. That happens. Police officers, firefighters all give their lives. Some not knowing, uh, some very willingly. Uh, and that happens. But then the, and we do that. We see those extraordinary heroic events. But the problem is, Jesus Christ wants you to be a hero every day. He wants you to be a hero in your own home. How? Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, it's that daily part we struggle with. When someone at work tells you what they think of you and they take that nail in their hands and they take that hammer and they drive that nail into your hand. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified who said nothing about his innocence. Who didn't revile in return. This is the hard part of Christianity. This is the challenge. But not if you're filled with the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of you and you begin to understand the value in losing your life. Because listen, next week we're going to talk about the resurrection. And the only way, listen, this is true. The only way to experience resurrection, a resurrected life now, is to die to yourself. There is no other way. And we are so we are a pill society, aren't we? I mean, I want to eat what I want to eat, just give me a pill. I want to do what I want to do, just give me a pill to take care of the results, the consequences. We are not good. Am I, am I telling the truth? We are not good at denying the, ourselves. And I will stand with you in, in that. I am not good at denying myself. We want what we want. We want it when we want it. And then we want to deal with the, the consequences some other way. Just a pill. Make it go away. And so, so many people struggle. And many of you struggle. Because the very thing that Jesus Christ has led by example for you to do is to deny yourself, to take up your cross, just like him, and follow him. That's at church. That's at home. That's at work. And only then will you really find freedom. Only then will you really, really find freedom. And he bearing his cross went out to a place, the place of the skull, Golgotha, where they crucified him with two others uh, with him, one on either side, the two other criminals. Jesus took the place of Barabbas, who was probably supposed to be there in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was the accusation against him. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Everybody, it was meant to be understood by anybody who spoke any language. The language of higher education, the language of religion, the language of philosophy, 
Look, the cross can reach anywhere. And I think it's important to make sure we understand that the things surrounding who Jesus is is understandable to people in their own language. Do you know people uh, were burnt at the, at the stake so that we could have a Bible in our own language? So that we could know. And again, we take it for granted. It's so common. We got 16 of them laying around the house. We got this kind of Bible, that kind of Bible. But what it took the, for the first people to say, hey, this needs to be in the language of the common person. And we're so thankful. And so when you talk to people about Jesus Christ, don't use words you don't understand. Tell them your story. Use words you do. Take time to learn what the word justification means. Take time to learn what salvation means. And speak to people in a way that they understand. And again, I always say one of the greatest compliments I, can ever, I could ever, ever receive as a pastor is that you make the Bible understandable. And so when these, these, these accusations were there, they were written in three different languages. Everybody passing through knew. And it was, he was properly labeled, wasn't he? The king of the Jews. But not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, the chief priests of the the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. You you write, Pilate, that he's just claiming this. And Pilate said, hey, I've written what I've written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts uh, to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. So he had five items of clothing. There were four soldiers that guarded him. And, and so they took the four items and they, they divvied them up among the soldiers. That was part of uh, their, I guess, payment or reward to the soldiers for being part of this as they would get the clothes of the criminal that was being crucified. But there was this one-piece tunic. Uh, now, the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose shall it be? So instead of tearing it up into four pieces, they said, hey, let's just... Let's just roll the dice for it. Let's just, you know, we'll do rock, paper, scissors or something like that. And we'll figure out who gets it. And the, the seamless garment is the garment that a rabbi would wear. That not just a rabbi, but the high priest would wear. And so, of course, Jesus, pictured by John as, as our high priest, the one that intercedes between God or, or for, for us on, uh, and, and to God. And then it was fulfilled that the scripture uh, might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so none of this is happening by accident. And, and God has left us a clue, a trail of breadcrumbs, all through the Bible. Some 300 prophecies in the Bible about the Messiah. And Jesus Christ fulfilling every single one of them as they look back and here is another they divided my garments and so here they are dividing his garments up just another proof that jesus is who he says he is therefore the soldiers did these things did they were they being forced to do this or was this their own free will to do this it was their own free will to do these things but yet god had said it from from beginning that this is how things would would be done Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. 
And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Uh, I can't even imagine Mary. Uh, you know, she was, Simeon had told her that uh, this child of hers, uh, that she would be pierced through as a result of his life. And, and so certainly watching him there, anybody that's got kids know how you hate to see your kids suffer. And here's her grown son being crucified like a common, common criminal in a humiliating way, and there she is by his side the whole time. And you know, I think it's a... There are times when, when people make mistakes. You know, and of course, Jesus didn't. He was perfect and true and, and right and, and never did anything, anything sinful or wrong. But there are times when people are wrongly accused, and you know what happens? Just being associated with them, people leave them in the dust, you know? And I think I love to see these ladies who loved him and, the, and John, the, apostle, the, the disciple John is the one that's there, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This was the, the he was Jesus' cousin, Jesus' mother Mary. His, uh, John and James and John were his, uh, Mary's sister's children. So John, the disciple, was a cousin of Jesus, and he commits Mary into his care. Now, where's Joseph? Nobody knows where Joseph is. It's likely that Joseph had passed away. Why not the other brothers? Jesus had younger brothers. Why didn't he commit them into their care? Well, uh, they weren't believers at this time. And so even on the cross, Jesus honoring his father and his mother, or at least in this case, his mother, making sure she's cared for, putting affairs in order for her behalf. It's completely, I mean, this, the, the lack of self-centeredness, the complete other-centeredness that was in his life, it's just absolutely remarkable that, that in the midst of all that pain that he'd be thinking about, it, was his mom going to be okay? And, and I think that part of the body of Christ, and a lot of people do TV church and they don't, you know, they don't get involved because they don't like hanging out with people and there's all kinds of excuses and I've heard all of them. But just wait until there's a time when you have a need and there's nobody there for you. Because, and I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here and you're making time for relationships. But, and then, and one of the things that's so comforting to me is being part of the body of Christ. And I know that if anything happens to me, this body will take care of my wife and kids. This is, the, this is not something God's ta- God takes lightly. He takes very uh, strong measures to make sure that we know as the church to care for widows and orphans. And I thank God he's raised up Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not here today. And many of you uh, who has this heart, this young guy, 20-year-old guy with a heart for widows. Special. And that is very close to God's heart. And it's right here on the cross. What do, what do we do about honoring our parents? I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, we need to, uh, to get on with communion. Um, I'd love to go farther. But we'll finish this chapter up next week. What a day to have communion. So the folks that are, are going to pass out communion are going to uh, begin to prepare that. I didn't say it was easy. But Jesus does call us to follow him. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to invite Phil to come up. Um, 
And we're just going to take some time. We, we've got stopped early enough that we have a few minutes. And we spend so much time telling the Lord what to do in prayer, don't we? When, when we sit down to pray, it's da 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 And Lord, I want you to do this. And here's what this person needs, Lord. And here's what that person needs, Lord. And the Lord's like, slow down. I'm trying to take notes here, you know. We're just so busy dictating to God what he should do. And there, there is a wonderful statement made in Ecclesiastes that says, draw near to hear and not to offer the sacrifice of fools, just talking, talking, talking. So I'd like this morning, uh, as Phil uh, plays a little bit of, of background music, um, I'd like to draw near to hear the Lord this morning. So we're going to take about the next 10 or 15 minutes, and I want you to sit quietly and ask the Lord what he might say to you. If he puts a Bible verse on your, on your mind, now anything that the Lord is going to say to us, anything that's it's called prophecy, it's edification, meaning it's going to build us up. It's exhortation, or it means it's going to challenge us or comfort us. Those are three things. So ask yourself, is this edifying? Is it going to build us up? Is it going to challenge us? Is it going to comfort us? And if it passes that test, so to speak, then I want you to stand up. Because maybe the Lord wants to use you to say something to all of us here this morning. Read it from your Bible. If it's a verse that the Lord puts on your mind or, or, or say what, he, what you feel he puts on your mind if it passes through those, um, those things. So, and that we're going to trust is the Lord speaking to us. Does anybody need to hear from the Lord fresh today? So let's spend some time in prayer. Lord, we, uh, we just wait on you, Lord. It's a beautiful day outside, and can't think of any more uh, valuable place to be than here in your presence, Lord. Our lives are so busy with input from media. This morning, Lord, we pray, speak to us. Tell us the thing we've been avoiding that you know we need to hear.